Our first guest tonight is Melanie Myers. Melanie is a Brisbane-based writer, academic, and occasional actor. Her short fiction has appeared in Kill Your Darlings, Overland, Arena Magazine, Griffith Review, and Hecate. In 2018, she won the Glendower Award for an Emerging Writer, which is part of the Queensland Literary Awards, for her manuscript Garrison Town, which was later published as Meet Me at Lennon's. Now, she's no stranger to literary festivals as a former director of the Reality Bites Festival, which used to be held in Karoi, which is where we first met. Please it welcome is. Melanie Myers to Melania. Thank you. Thanks, Stephen. So, Melanie, in this fascinating novel, which operates on several different levels, but notably both in contemporary Brisbane and in 1940s Brisbane, a young PhD researcher stumbles across a story about the mysterious death of a woman, her body found in the mangroves growing along the side of the Brisbane River. This is during the Second World War. She finds that the murder was never reported in the mainstream press and becomes obsessed with trying to find out what happened. Amongst other things, it's a, a portrait of the city both then and now. I wonder if you would give us a brief outline of what Brisbane was like in the 1940s. Oh, it was steamy. <laughs> <laughs> there was lots of sex. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to come out and say that first thing. No, well, the American sorry, you've got the town. audience in the palm of your hand now. So, so right. oh, look, I'll put on my historian's hat now. So, n the end of 1941, the day before Christmas, the Pensacola convoy arrived in Brisbane, came up the Brisbane River, deposited around about 6,000 American troops, and then the invasion began. And at its peak in 1943, there are around 90,000 Americans stationed in and around Brisbane. And that doesn't, that doesn't take into account Toowoomba, Rockhampton, Mount Isa, Townsville. So it, the estimate is about a 1 million Americans came through Queensland or, and Brisbane. And are we saying men? Men, mostly men, mostly. Yeah. Yeah, there were a few women, but... And, but Brisbane itself was still very much a country yeah, town. Yeah, well, it had the reputation of being a country town. It had a population of around 300,000, so not really a country town as we know it, but it had... It was a very conservative town, so it had kind of country town values, let's say. It was considered backward compared to the rest of the country. Putting it nicely. No comment. <laughs> One of the, the Americans changed that a little yeah. bit. One of the interesting things you depict is the rivalry between Australian and American servicemen, or men in particular. You'd have to say in your story that how the, the Americans come off better than the Australians? Ooh, yeah, look, um, I tried to be balanced, but the reality was... Um, the Americans knew how to court women. They knew how to date. They had a dating culture and they brought that here, which Australian men did not, did not know how to court women. So, of course, Australian women fell for these men who bought flowers and bought chocolates and took them out in taxis and took them to movies and spoke to them as human beings and wanted to, you know... <laughs> Australian women fell for it, big time. And around about... So all up, the estimate is around 12,000 to 15,000 brides, so women who married Americans, and seven, around 7,000 came from Queensland. So that tells the story, really. But 
you know, there were some bad Americans and there were some good Australians. It wasn't, you know... No, of course. Yeah. And, but the, this kind of coincided, this arrival of all these American troops coincided with a great kind of change in the nature of Australian society because yeah. so, many, so many Australian men were in Papua New Guinea and, and other theatres mm -hmm. of war, so women had taken their jobs, albeit that they were being paid two-thirds as much as the men were for the same jobs. But, but things, things were quite, quite different at that time. How did those changes in Australian society last when the war was over? They didn't. All those gains women made of getting into the workplace and doing jobs that were supposedly for men. And there was... And it came from the top down, you know. It was a government initiative to say, this is just for the duration. So we really need your help now. Could you please go and work in munitions and canning factories and and um, work on aircraft and do this, that and the other thing. And women proved themselves very capable. But then when the men came back, it's like, no, back to the kitchen with you. Let's give the men their jobs back. So, yeah, it, it, it kind of went backwards. Yeah. Because that was the 1950s, of course. Yeah. And, and look, it's really quite one of the central aspects of this story is, is this issue because there were a lot of black American men mm. who came mm. as well. Yeah. So the um, African-American troops that came to Brisbane, I mean, that was... Initially, the Queensland government tried to say, no, we do not want any African-American troops. Yeah. I can hear the laughter. Um, yeah, and they couldn't, but um, the American... Um, the, they were just like, nah, you know, you want us, then you'll take our... African American troops. However, they were segregated, so their camps were over out in areas like um, Ipswich and Red Bank, Goodna. They were segregated over the south side of Brisbane, and if they had a curfew, and if they were caught like in the city proper, they could be shot on the spot, and they were. Yeah, and that crossing the bridge for the Victoria Bridge. Um, so they, because they were on the they were on South Bank, so where where yeah, South Bank now yeah. is. Yeah, so they were allowed to go to the South Bank area, and eventually they built um, the Carver Club, which was an American Red Cross club for them. There was already a Red Cross club operating on um, Adelaide Street, but African Americans couldn't go there, and they built the Carver Club, which was of course the place to go because they had these amazing jazz bands, and lots of women would go there. Surprisingly. White women. Yeah. And, I mean, look, <laughs> I, I, don't want to, I don't want to say... I'm trying not to give any spoilers in the book, because, but it, clearly the attitude towards African-American men was such that when somebody was, uh, when somebody was killed or something went wrong, they were immediately the suspects. Yeah? Uh, well, there were... Um, Yes. Well, it's a really funny reaction. So there was kind of this overt sort of racism that happened and this segregation and this idea that we needed to keep these highly sexualised men away from our pure white women. <laughs> Underground, it was a different story. But um, where was I going with that? Well, I was, I was just saying that 
that when, when, and when something happened, when somebody was raped or somebody was murdered or something, the, the, the black men were immediately more sus suspected. Uh, yeah, they were. And, I mean, if you look at the actual case files, the police files, which I did, um, the, the Americans that were charged with rape offences, it was a pretty even spread between black and white. So there was no sort of... But there, but African American men got treated a lot more harshly when that happened. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, by our authorities or by theirs? Uh, by theirs. Yeah. So if anything happened, it immediately the Americans took care. They had their own court martial system. So actually, what would happen is the Queensland police would investigate a crime. They would help, but as soon as they got the perpetrator, they'd have to hand him over and they had no say in what was handed down in terms of punishment or... And for petty crimes, a lot of the times the Americans just moved them on and nothing happened. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm curious to know how you came to write this novel because uh, it has a contemporary figure, Olivia, Olive Wells, who is... Olivia. Olivia. Olivia, sorry. Olivia Wells, who is writing a novel in Brisbane as part of her arts PhD, which is based around a playwright who lived in the city in the 1940s. Now, at, yeah, the time, complicated. at the time that you wrote this novel, you happened to be a woman in, living in Brisbane doing a PhD on the wartime yes, experience in Brisbane, right? Yes, but not me. Is, is, there something, <laughs> is there something from your own history okay. in all of well, this? Well, Olivia was supposed to be writing like a history... In, she was actually writing a PhD on this playwright called Gloria Graham, who was this feminist playwright, poet, and she supposedly had a manuscript that was never published. And so she wanted to set out to find, find this manuscript and write her PhD about this undiscovered manuscript. She never actually intended to write anything. But I won't say anymore because I'll give the book away. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it, I mean, it just, I'm just curious because you've said this, that half the story is set in contemporary Brisbane yep. as well, which is, which is about her doing her research and, and looking at those aspects and finding out these stories that that we've been talking about just for a minute here. Yes. Yes. Okay. Where's, where's the question, Stephen? Okay. Okay. So. All true. <laughs> I guess she was a bit of a conduit for trying to, um, because I wanted this book to be about the way we discover history and the way we uncover stories. And the way we rediscover, like our grandmother's stories, um, in letters or in a picture. So stories that are in fragments, that we don't kind of know the whole story. Um, but if we go digging, we can start finding out things. So she was used as a way to kind of make that more explicit about the way we put history together and people's yeah. stories. Yeah, and very effectively as well, Thank if you, you don't mind saying because Because she finds, of course a box with letters and then things get unravelled a little bit. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that also you were writing this um, novel as part of your creative arts PhD. And uh, from my own experience doing, doing a master's with that, it's one thing to write the novel, which is hard enough itself, but in order to get a PhD or a master's, you then have to write a thesis. The exegesis. Or, yes. And, and, and the two, in my experience, are completely antithetical. 
because because <laughs> writing writing a piece of creative fiction and writing a thesis, there's a, a different style, a different language, yeah. a different way of putting things down. How, how did you find that experience? Uh, discombobulating, trying. There was a lot of tears. <laughs> it was a long process. But I, I would vacillate between the two, so the creative, and then I'd go back to the exegesis. But the exegesis had a lot of... I had to kind of summarise the history of Brisbane during World War II. So it was drawing on a lot of history books and kind of doing a big overview of that period, which I actually really enjoyed. So, mm. I mean, it has a long history as a garrison town as well. You would yeah. be you'd be aware of, of how Brisbane came into being and... And it was called, it was like, it had a reputation, it was a garrison town, which is why I called it that. But um, my publisher didn't, thought it was too masculine, <laughs> so we ditched that title and after much agonising, came up with this one. Um, uh, oh yes, I've had the same problem with titles and, and the same publisher, actually. Yes, we do have the same publisher. Yeah, end up with a title that you weren't necessarily the one you wanted, but that's oh, I'm I'm fine with it, but it was it was a process to get there. Yeah. And, and what are you doing now? Because this came out about 18 months ago. You, yes. Part of the reason that Melanie is here is that she was invited to be our introducing author when the book came out in last March last year. year. But COVID interfered, and yes. it was such a good book that I... I we couldn't let Thanks, it go Stephen. past. That couldn't, means a couldn't, lot. couldn't let it go past. Yeah. So what? So you've had plenty of time now. What are you? What are you up to? So you're saying I should have written my next novel? <laughs> 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 I am working on a uh, a book about. Um, it'll be historical biofiction, meaning that it will be based on fact, but um, filling in the gaps, which is kind of what this book is about. About the Madonna sisters. Anyone? Right, okay, can I? Please. So, in the 1920s in Sydney, these three sisters made these really pioneering short, uh, silent films that were better than anything else anybody was doing in the film, film industry at the time. And they, were, they made two really good blockbuster, well, blockbusters for the 1920s, that were more in the Hollywood style. So... Um, Paulette was the director and writer, Phyllis was the producer, and Isabel, Madonna, the Madonna sisters, was the main lead actress. And their story is quite incredible. Um, they were really famous at the time, but no one knows about them anymore. And so how, are you, how have you woven them into a novel? I haven't yet. I'm still <laughs> researching. <laughs> but I've got some grant money to do that, so that's what I will be doing very soon. Well, congratulations for that. And Thanks, Stephen. And thank you so much for coming up to Melania to talk to us about it. Oh, thank you. Okay. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you.